Amen. You can have a seat. Well, again, uh, my name is Jacob. I serve as one of the pastors here at Veritas. And uh, if you're new here with us this morning, man, we couldn't be more excited that you're here with us. Uh, we're here uh, to worship King Jesus, are we not? Amen. Are we not here to worship King Jesus? Yeah. That's what we're all about here at Veritas. We exist for the name of fame of Jesus. That's it's part of the tagline of our church. We exist for the fame of Jesus in all things. Um, again, uh, we started our gathering with this uh, handout flyer that was on all the seats. So grab one, maybe grab two, uh, put one in your Bible, put one up on your fridge, um, like old school, grab a magnet, put it up on the refrigerator so that you, uh, as often as these folks come to mind, can pray for them. Maybe when you're going in to grab your next LaCroix, when you're able to, maybe you're like a Diet Coke person, uh, you're opening up that fridge for the next applesauce packet if you're a young parent in the room. I mean, we're all exhausted in here, young parents, Amen. We're all exhausted. Yeah, they were here. Me and my wife got our first full nights of sleep, like actual full night of sleep in like, I don't know, a week or something like that, uh, because I had to I just threaten my little toddler last night before she went to bed. I got down on her knees. Uh, I gave her a big daddy hug, and I said, baby, if you get up and wake up mama tonight a bunch of times, we're going to have some consequences. And so uh, praise God for minor, minor miracles like that. Uh, speaking of miracles, uh, we are walking through the uh, book of 1 Corinthians together. So grab your Bible, meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to be in verses 20 through 33 this morning. And uh, Paul is continuing this corrective teaching to the church at Corinth around uh, the spiritual gifts. Uh, these, these gifts that have been given to God's people within the church for their building up, for their edifying, for their encouragement. And uh, these gifts that have been given to the church, but the church was kind of uh, not using them properly. Uh, uh, their church on a Sunday morning, if you went to, you know, uh, uh, to First Corinth Church there, uh, it was literally First Corinth Church. It was the first one there. Uh, Paul planted it. And if you went and showed up there on a Sunday morning, it was kind of a circus. Uh, it was kind of all these wild things going on. And what Paul's doing in this chapter here is, in particular, talking about the Sunday morning gathering and doing corrective work around um, what that should look like and the, the role of gifts within it. So uh, if you've got a Bible, um, read along with me uh, as I read this aloud. Um, just have the scriptures in front of you. And it'll also come up on the screen, verses 20, and we'll stop at verse 25 and pick up verse 26 later. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Brothers, brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. And the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, and if all speak in tongues, and outsiders and unbelievers enter... Will they not all say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's stop there for now. Word of the Lord. So this morning... Paul is giving a charge to the church at Corinth, and the, the first note he rings here is this charge to be called to maturity, to not just be infants in their thinking, but to be mature in their thinking. The second is to uh, see that we are all called to proclaim the gospel to others. 
And our practice and usage of the gifts actually really, really matters. It has big, high stakes and high consequences. And finally, our gatherings should be oriented in such a way and ordered in such a way that the gospel is first and foremost and nothing else competes with that because as we gather together, we should use our gifts to edify one another when we gather. And so because that, and because, you know, I lean Baptist in these things, we've got three R's this morning. You guys ready for the three R's? Here we go. We've got right thinking in verse 20. We've got right practice in verses 21 through 25, and right order in verses 26 through 33. Let's uh, begin our time together with thinking about thinking. Thinking about thinking for a moment. Yes, we're going to do that. That's because that's where Paul starts here. In verse 20, he says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. He says here that there's an immature way of thinking, and there's a mature way of thinking. There's a, there's a way of thinking that is self-focused, whether it's focused on the immediate, maybe just focused on subjective truth, which is an immature way of thinking. And then there is a mature way of thinking that's very different. And the only real qualifier he gives to, to say what the difference is, is like, I mean, if you're going to be uh, immature in anything, if you're going to be infants in anything, it better be into your exposure and participation with sin. Because we as followers of Jesus need to rightly uh, rid ourselves of sin in our own lives. Yes, it will always be present with us, it's, 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 but the power of sin has been broken over us because of what Jesus has done. So the presence of sin remains kind of always until Jesus comes back. The world's always going to have problems with, with sin. We're always going to have problems with sin until Jesus comes back. But the power of sin has been broken over us so we can say no to sin and yes to Jesus. This is a way of mature thinking. An immature way of thinking would be, well, I'm just never going to struggle with sin ever again since I've come to know and follow Jesus. And how's that working out for anybody else? It's not working out for me. You know, that's not working out. That's an immature way of thinking that you're just going to be like free and rid of sin completely and forever as soon as you place your faith in Jesus. And that's just not the case. Mature way of thinking would be that we want to grow in our love and affection for Jesus as we submit ourselves to him continually. This is other-focused thinking where we not just think about our own interests but the interests of others. This is long-term good rather than short-term gain type thinking. And this is objective truth type thinking. See, we must all be committed to growing in our, our love and affection for Jesus as we submit our lives to him. And as we continue to do that, getting our thinking right about our circumstances, getting our thinking right about ourselves, getting our thinking right about God, doing theology right, we are able to grow into a way that we're able to invest in love and serve one another better. And that's the emphasis of Paul's entire point in this chapter is he wants to see the church grow and edify and build one another, another up in a way that really shows the glory and beauty of Jesus. So because of that, Paul very quickly goes from verse 20 into verse 21, kind of giving us a case study and showing us that if we don't have right thinking and, and, and that right thinking doesn't inform our right practice of the, of the spiritual gifts, it could be, go out really bad. 
for, for a lot of us. So let's look again at verse 21 uh, through 23. I guess 22 here. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. Paul's quoting Isaiah here. And even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And then he gets a case, gives a, a minor case study about how that works out in the church. And so this could be pretty easily misunderstood, so let me help try to clear this up for you. When, when Paul says that this, this sign of tongues is a sign to unbelievers, he's not saying that it's like a gift given to them. It's not like a, a, a gift given to them because obviously if they're unbelievers, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They've not been indwelt by the Spirit of God. They have not placed their faith and hope and trust in Jesus, so they can't have spiritual gifts. What this is is their observance of this tongue-speaking as a sign to them. And what this sign is, according to Isaiah, is a sign of judgment. The this, this sign of judgment is that these people are hearing tongues being spoken and saying, you're just all out of your mind. You're all crazy people. But guess what? Paul accounts, he says, when all of you come together and you all speak in tongues, guess what? You're the people with the truth. You're just using tongues in a way that it's not supposed to be used. And the, the, even though the person that's rejecting all of you guys because they think that you're crazy, you're still the truth people. You're still the people that have been saved by Jesus. And that's a judgment on them, on the people that are unbelieving in that time. So it's a sign of their condemnation. And it makes us look crazy as followers of Jesus when we get together and we just do that. So instead, what Paul does is advocate for the use of prophecy. Prophecy, where an unbeliever would come inside and then at, at, when he's exposed to the prophetic word that convicts him, that, that, that shows him uh, the, the, the failings of his own heart and brings humility, those people would actually be converted because of that. The gospel will be put on display in a way that's tangible and it's intelligible that they can actually receive. See, Paul's point is we, we should all be personally concerned about the need for outsiders to hear the gospel clearly proclaimed. Yes, what we do in here on a Sunday morning is primarily for followers of Jesus. But we shouldn't put un unintentional or even unnecessary stumbling blocks in front of other people hearing the good news of Jesus. And what Paul's saying is uninterpreted tongues in the gathering, uninterpreted tongue speech of any kind, is a stumbling block that's unnecessary. Because the gospel in and of itself, the gospel is offensive. Have you ever thought about this? Maybe you've been so churched here for a while, you've been following Jesus for a long enough time, you hear gospel, you just hear, good news. I need that good news. Like, give me that gospel because that's what, that's what the word means. Gospel means good news. But you can't have good news without bad news. And here's the bad news. Even though we were created by God with dignity, value, and purpose, every single one of us, we're made to follow God and enjoy Him forever, walking in His ways, being creative like God is creative, cultivating the world around us, bringing flourishing, and speaking that into everything around us. But instead of that, we have chosen another way. We've inherited from our first father, our forefather, Adam, sin. 
and a sin nature which makes our hearts wicked beyond belief. Our hearts really are wicked beyond belief. So that means even when we intend to do good, as humans made in God's image, there's still parts of our, the ways that we go about that are for our own self-interest, our own self-desires, or maybe even just trying to get ahead of our fellow man. And then because of that, and that sin nature that we've inherited and we've participated in, we have rightly earned the judgment of God on ourselves. Here is the hope of the gospel. Here's the hope of the good news. The good news is even though we are more horribly affected by sin than we'd ever dare believe, worthy of the judgment of God, God has revealed himself, shown himself, not to be a God who's quick, like a, like, a, like a bad father who has a quick temper that just wants to punish. He's a good father who sends his one and only and begotten son in order to save us. Because there's no God in heaven that doesn't look like Jesus and is embodied in the character that Jesus shows us in his person and work and life and ministry here on planet earth. Who but Jesus is one, like chapter 13 would say, is patient and kind. He doesn't envy or boast. Jesus isn't arrogant or rude. He didn't insist on his own way. Jesus isn't irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. What did Jesus do? He took our own wrongdoing upon his own back and bore it on a Roman execution cross, bearing not just physical pain, but the weight of our sins, our every sin upon himself, so that we could be justified before God. Because God, when he looks at you, of course he sees your sin. Of course he sees the things about you that no one else sees, that you keep tucked away in the deep recesses of your heart and mind. But he sees you and he loves you. He's for you. He's, he wants to welcome you into his family with open arms. He knows that you've blown it in ways. But he is right there, right now, willing accept you into his family, welcome you into this covenant community, welcome you into, give you a new name, give you uh, like the, the, the prodigal son, like the robe off the father's back and the ring signet for his finger because you are his child. This is our God. We should not place any stumbling blocks, no matter how good we think that they may look or feel or whatever, in front of that good news, getting across to other people that are far from it. Because that same good news that they need to hear for the first time, we need to hear for the thousandth time, follower of Jesus. We need it every week. This is the water we must drink. This is the well we must continually return to. It is the rock, the Christ. It is the gospel. And that's it. We never move on from it. This is the beauty of why we gather. It's this. And so... Just like tongues were this, you know, overly showy expression, we can fall prey to this within our own church, in our own communities, in the way that we go about doing church gatherings in, in the West and around the world. In some churches, it's going to be overly showy expressions of even things like this, like preaching, where so much emphasis is placed up here at the front with all kinds of props and it looks like a circus on the stage and they've got all these things and bells and whistles and stuff trying to just keep you awake. 
And if, if, if my job is just to keep you awake, I'm sorry, man. I'm going to put you to sleep every once in a while. You know, it's just it's the way it's going to work. No, we should not engage in those things as overly showy expressions. Because you know what? To the rest of the world, when they come in here and they see me doing the song and the dance thing, man, it just looks as stupid as it actually is. What do we need? We need words of life here. We need this. We don't need a show. Also, too, the way we do music here as a church, we, we convictionally don't do times where it's just like, hey, listen to my eight-minute guitar solo time. We're not dropping in like a, you know, any, any showy production things in here because that's not the point. It's not the point. To the rest of the watching world, they come in and they say, you're trying too hard. What are you doing? Are you actually worshiping Jesus together as a family? Or are you just attending a rock concert with some Jesus thrown in there? No, this is what we're gathered here to do. See, even in the way that we do leadership as a church, where we platform one individual or one particular pastor, one particular person in the church, and we begin to idolize that particular person. And all of us, to some extent, have this inward proclivity to want to say, hey, that's my person, that's the person I follow, that's the person I put my trust in. Not that you shouldn't have trust in leaders. I think there's an inward criticism and cynicism in most of us that some of us are either on like, hey, I want to jump on every bandwagon that comes around, or like, I'm never going to trust a human ever again. We've got to see that our inward desire to be led is good. But ultimately, the one who really leads here, our senior pastor is Jesus. We have an elder team that leads the best we know how to point you guys to Jesus and to to lead this church in the right direction. But none of us should be worshipped like Jesus. None of us is worthy of being platformed as a person that everything in his life is perfect. No, none of us without sin, not one. So as a church body, we must be concerned to see the gospel proclaimed and nothing else get in the way. Let's look again at Paul's, uh, what he's going to say in verse 3 of chapter 14, and also um, the outworkings of what right prophecy does in the gatherings, where the gospel is put on display through that, in verses 23 through, through 25. Look back at verse 3 of chapter 14 where he speaks of prophecy, about what it is. He says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And note that Paul says right after that, I want all of you to prophesy. Every single one of you. Then skip to verse 25, verse 20, um, 24. This is what prophecy does when it's done correctly. If all prophesy and an unbeliever and an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. You see, you, you can kind of sketch this out if you're one of those people who writes notes in their Bible. You can put like a little one, two, three, four beside each of these things because it's what Paul seems to be saying will happen. If prophecy is done correctly, the word of God is not going to return void like he would say in Romans chapter 10. And he's going to say that the secrets of his heart, not that this is like 
future telling mode. This is not where like it's something spooky's going on and someone's like reading your mail and you know speaking to your dead grandma. That's not what's going on in here, okay? He's saying the secrets of his heart would be exposed, meaning there's an acknowledgement and recognition of sin. Recognition of sin. Then what happens next? He falls on his face. This act of contrition, like I realize I'm a sinner here. And I'm now humbled before God as I see his holiness and my unworthiness, and my own sin. And what's the next step? He will worship God. Like, conversion happens here. Right worship of God happens when prophecy happens correctly. And finally, this declaration that God is among you, this is like a mini confession of faith. This is a mini confession of like, this corporate assembly where God's people are gathered, God's really among these people, you can kind of chalk it up to what Peter said before Jesus, uh, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you're the one to come. And Jesus said, upon this truth, I'm going to build my church. That confession of Jesus as Lord. Church, God really is here among us. When prophecy is done correctly within the church, it will lead to these things and confessions of faith like this. And this is what we long for here as a church. We long for this. Yes, we wholeheartedly agree that in the gathering like this, it's primarily for us followers of Jesus to be refreshed again in the gospel. But we are going to preach and teach and acknowledge that among our people here in this room, there are those of us that are not followers of Jesus. And heartily amen that. We're going to act like that. See, we want this to be a safe place where barriers are removed from people coming to hear about the good news of Jesus. And so if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, we try to preach and teach in such a way that we're, we're acknowledging you're in the room, man. Like, we're really glad that you, you are here, actually. And, and we want to welcome you into this church community. We are thrilled that you're here and we have prayed for you. So beyond making sure that we plan for clear gospel-centered communication and acknowledgement that Unbelievers are going to be present here. Well, like, what do we do next together as a church? And I'm glad that you asked. I mean, you guys always ask the best questions. Uh, what we're going to do is move into uh, verses 26 through 33. Um, let's uh, hear these verses read aloud over us of what Paul is going to prescribe and get super pragmatic about what it should look like when we gather together as a church, in particular with the two gifts of prophecy and tongues in mind. Verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three. And if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that you may all learn and be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is a God not of confusion, but of peace. Verse 25 again. Oh, verse 26 again. Paul's assumption is that there is a lot of potential voices that when we come together as a church, they're going to bring their opinions, their desires, and expectations to the gathering. 
And guess what? That is a really, really great thing. Because when you're coming to church on a Sunday morning, you should not expect to be getting a like Michelin star restaurant five-course meal. It should be, feel a little bit more like a potluck. And, and that, that should be the case. It really should be the case that each people that are bringing uh, their pieces of the puzzle to create what's happening on a Sunday morning, uh, the, we're not professionals. None of us are professional prophecy makers. None of us are professional tongue speakers. None of us are professional healers. We don't just get to walk around with those titles and say, that's our, that's our bag, that's our gig. I'm going to put on the healer badge and stand in the corner and come pray with me. Like, that doesn't, that's, we don't get to do that. But what we do get to do is when we come together, we get to bring the things that God has gifted us with, a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, a prophecy, all these things and bring them together as a church body to make up the beautiful meal of the gospel presentation that happens on a Sunday morning. And what Paul says is that all things need to be done in order and in and need, the focus of those things needs to be to edify, to build one another up. And so what that means is, even though we all come with our different giftings, even though we all come with our different desires, it doesn't mean that we just can interject our own desires as we gather to, together, just again and again, in order to create chaos and confusion. Because the way this passage ends is, God is our God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So he continues in verse 28 and 27, I'm sorry. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. You guys picking up what Paul's laying down here about tongues? He's putting a lot of prescriptors on here. He's putting some modifiers on the way that tongues should work in the gathering. Again, they are the problem child he's trying to address. And so the way he talks about prophecy is like, let two or three prophets speak. But when he talks about tongues, he says, if anybody speaks in a tongue, so he puts an if at the beginning, and then he says, let there only be two at most three. He's, he's just going to limit these things for sure. And what I think here is that this makes a compelling case that for that, uh, th this incredibly limited um, role that tongues are to play in our gatherings. Because the point is order. The point is intelligibility of speech. The point is that Paul is trying to say all these things got to be done for building one another up. And if there's no interpretation of these tongues, they don't get a role to play at all. Like, zero role. Like, they, you are to speak to yourself and to God. So they might edify you, but they are not meant to anybody, edify anybody else unless there's in this interpretation of tongues. This is why Paul tells us, told us last week in verse 13, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Kind of like a whole... You know, two birds, one stone situation. You're the person that got the tongue, you're the one who interpreted the tongue, and you're the one who can bring it in a language that we can understand. That would sounds really, really great. So I think that this uh, ad admonition from Paul to say, speak to yourself and to God is a further indication that the gift may build up the self, but it only has utility in the gathering unless it operates like prophecy, edifying the whole church. Look at 29. Again, let two or three prophets speak. Let others weigh what is said. And if a revelation is made to another setting there, let the first be silent. Again, order is utmost. For you can all prophesy one by one so that you may all learn and all be encouraged. Again, all things be done for building up. 
Then finally, the judgment of prophecy. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is God of not of confusion, but of peace. Now, in talking about a spiritual gift like prophecy, I feel like many of us here in the church, again, feel, uh, even speaking about spiritual gifts, like, oh man, when's it going to get weird? Oh, oh man, when's it going to get a little woo-woo? And like, again, Paul doesn't go there with this. He says it should be the normative expectation that as we gather together as a church, that God speaks in these particular ways, and he gives these words of prophecy to individual believers for the building up of the entire church. And so uh, the best way I can kind of explain this is as like a prophecy flowchart for these guys. I didn't have enough time to like write this down or put it in a slideshow for you, so I'll just kind of walk it out with my hands in the air and do my, my best teacher hands right now. I used to be a middle school teacher. think we can do it. Here's, here we go. So if you've got prophecy up here and a prophetic word comes to an individual, right, the, uh, the, the way that prophecy we want to see played out here at Veritas is if you believe that you've received a prophetic word, we want you to bring that word to the elders at Veritas. And so we believe that growth throughout time, uh, with you being able to know and operate in that gifting, that word of encouragement, of edification, of, of upbuilding and consolation for someone else, if you grow in that gifting over time and being able to discern it, you can just share that with the individual that you believe that it's supposed to be for. But we want all words coming to us for us uh, at this time. And then also, too, we want to encourage you if you feel like the word is for the entire church, the entire gathered assembly like this, we need to discern that, like every single time. We, we're not going to have open mic prophecy time. We're not putting a mic down in front and just saying, go hang out on it if you get one. We ain't doing that. We want to welcome you to pray with the elders, to discern with the elders what this word might mean for you and might mean for someone else or for the church at large. And we want to pray with you through that. Because I feel like a lot of times... We feel like if anything like this miraculous happens or like I feel like I've been given this word for another follower of Jesus or for the church at large, it needs to be immediate. We need to jump right to it. And again, that's immature thinking. Like focused on the right here and the right now in this moment. You're going to lose it. No. Like write it down in a journal. Bring it for us. Let us help discern what this word means and help us uh, grow together as an entire church body. Because again, the usage of a particular spiritual gift is never meant to terminate just on you. It's meant to build up the whole body of Christ, okay? We want to help you do that. And so that, that, that goes for when is this word shared? To whom is it shared? And sometimes I, I would think that it would take months to discern this. It might be just days to discern it, or it might be right here in the gathering, you pray with Trey and I at the back, and it's like, yeah, we believe this is it. We believe the Spirit of God is stirring in this particular way to share this word right now. And we make time at the end of the gathering for that. So this is the way in which Paul gives us this sense of order in the gathering. It should just be one by one. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. And so we want to bring the words of prophecy to those who are called to judge those words of prophecy, namely the elders here of this church. And that's not necessarily that we're smarter, even more wise, or know exactly what's going on. It's the responsibility of elders in a church to take responsibility for what's happening within that church and her gathering. So again, prophecy is a word given for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And the, one of the reasons we want to see this happen in the church is because what Paul says happens because of it. When these things happen in the church, like when those words are given, people come to faith. People recognize their own sin. 
Humility and, and, and contrition happens in followers of Jesus and people that are new followers of Jesus. People bend their wills back to worshiping God rather than themselves, and people confess faith for Jesus the first time. We want to see this in our church. And again, all things must be done in order and for upbuilding. And so the, we, the way that we navigate this is we want to see all these individual gifts must be done in an orderly way. If we just took Paul on the surface here, we could just make a quick assumption that there's only going to be three, maybe six people talking in the whole gathering. Because the only categories he gives here is tongues and prophecy. If you're just like plain, literal reading of the text here, not a lot of people are going to be speaking up front in a very meaningful way, but that does not preclude any of us from speaking to one another before the gathering, after the gathering, grabbing someone during communion, even if it's during the time of worship and you just need to share a word with someone or if you need to confess a sin to someone else, go to that brother and do that as quickly as you can. So you must see yourself as a person who's not just coming to church to get something. And we live in a consumeristic culture, and so we have to fight against this all the time. See, this Sunday gathering is not just an hour and change without your kids right now. This is not just like a, a decent opportunity to get a nap in. This is not just you getting your, your caffeine Jesus fix right now. Lord, help you if you came here for the coffee, because this McDonald's, you know, it's not great, you know? But if we as Christians, we have to see ourselves as being on mission here on a Sunday morning, right now. This is not just a place to worship, but this is a place to have a purpose. Like when we come together on a Sunday morning, you can see yourself as a person. You should have on your radar, I have got to bless someone this morning. I have to share a word of encouragement. I got to pray with somebody this morning. People need me to speak words of truth and life over them this morning, and God wants to equip you for that work. And I'm convinced that many of us just see ourselves as a button a seat. We see ourselves as a number. Or we see ourselves as like incapable of giving anything because we actually believe that about ourselves. And Jesus speaks a better word to you and I. Jesus says, no, I'm going to fill you with my spirit and, and build you up so that you're going to go make disciples all over the world. You know who said that of? All of us. You're a follower of Jesus in the room. This is your purpose. <laughs> this is the, the, the beautiful vision to give your life to is to sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Think about the misery of people out there. And if this, this is you, gosh, there's such a better thing to be invited into this morning. Just, just being obsessed with yourself all the time. And I'm sick of myself. I'm sick of the same old self all the time. But others, there's like me time is all the time, and every day is a self-care day, and there's, you know, there's no respect for anyone else's opinion because you only respect your own. That'd be so exhausting. Actually trusting in yourself and disappointing yourself all the time. We get to be invited as followers of Jesus into a better, more beautiful vision of what it means to live life. And let me just tell you, it's better over here. If, that, if you're feeling that this morning, it's better over here on the sides of the screw-ups. It's better on the sides of those who know we get it wrong. Better on the, ones that, on the side of we, we know we need each other because we're not going to make it without each other. That Lone Rangers really are dead rangers. Like the movies have lied to us. 
there's a gospel that you need to hear this morning, and it's not about self-fulfillment. It's not about self-actualization. It's about a God who loves you and a family he's welcoming you into. Because our God brings us peace. I want to end with a meditation on that for just a moment. God brings peace, not confusion. So much of our lives and the things that we're introduced to and bombarded with uh, in our culture, in our media, I mean, you just scroll Instagram for an hour or five minutes, and you're just bombarded with more confusion than you are clarity. Less peace, I guarantee you. Our God brings us peace, not just with himself, through the person work of Jesus, but he brings us peace with ourselves. He brings us peace with each other. See, what God has invited us into in this peace that we can only know through the gospel is peace with himself. Maybe you grew up with a vision or still it's hard for you to let go of a vision of God. It isn't just some grand bully in the sky waiting to crush you like a bug when you get it wrong. So you have to convince yourself he's just not up there. That's a lie, follower of Jesus. Let that go. Let that die in the grave where it should be because the God in heaven loves you enough to not only know everything about you, but to give his one and only son to bring you into his family. As God loves you. Have peace with him. We also have peace with ourselves and the possibility of it. Maybe you're suffering from depression, burnout, doubt, your own sin. God can bring you peace with yourself because Jesus speaks a word over us, the same word that was spoken over him at his baptism when the skies parted and the voice like thunder rang from the clouds and God the Father spoke over his son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit came to rest on Jesus like a dove. See, follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Those words that were spoken over Christ at his baptism are spoken over you. This is my beloved son. This is my cherished daughter. I'm well pleased. This is the peace we can have with ourselves. We can have peace with each other. Conflict, chaos, anything else can be reconciled in the gospel. Can be. Doesn't mean that everything's to be hunky-dory forever, but we can have peace with one another because God brings it. Not a God of confusion, but of peace. We can have confusion and we can have peace with those who are even outside of the church and see that our responsibility is to share the good news of the gospel with others. And follower of Jesus in the room, one last charge here. You cannot wiggle our way out of this. You can't convince yourself that it's just going to be up to others to, to, to speak the word of the gospel to your, your family and your friends. It's, it's God's uh, game plan to just get them here to church so that Jacob can do it when he preaches. No, 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 no. That happens. Paul told us it's going to happen that way. Is that primarily what we're all called to do and see it happen that way? No, it's not. Maybe it is an invitation to church. Praise God. But more than likely, it's going to be life on life. It's going to be you faithfully being a faithful witness to Jesus, being willing to suffer, like being willing to be wronged and maligned and being thought of as just like some backwards old Christian until 
the day that God opens their eyes because of a word that you spoke over them or a better vision in, in, of living that you welcome them in. Follower of Jesus, we must see ourselves, all of us in our responsibility, see the, uh, the good news advance through the proclamation of the gospel. And I pray that Jesus would make this so in our church. If you'll pray with me. Jesus, um, today as your word has been proclaimed, um, through word and prayer, through the preaching of your word, Jesus, um, I pray that you would do the miraculous among us, um, that you would so gift every follower of Jesus here with words of encouragement, with words that speak peace, with words that make much of you, Jesus, and what you've done for us. And God, I pray uh, that among this body, these edifying words uh, would become commonplace before, after, during the gathering, God, that you would fill our, our minds and our hearts in ways that build up others, that edify others. God, through our, our planning that goes into gatherings like this, where we sing specific songs, where we pray specific prayers, God, where we observe different elements during the gathering, God, I pray we would see these, these things as all helpful ways that we remember the gospel together. And God, when you give us prophetic utterance, God, I pray that we'd be faithful um, to bring it. God, that we would uh, bring it before leaders of this church in order to discern those things. And God, uh, you would use these words of prophecy um, to make much of yourself, Jesus, and bring others to faith. I pray that in Jesus' name.